0: Couldn't sleep at all that night. Just thinking of you.
1: Maybe things weren't right.
0: Well, I was tossing and dancing, turning and off. A tossing and
1: turning all night.
2: Good morning, Night Owls! Welcome, all you sunrisers and moonrisers, to Sleepless in Studio City, a safe place for discussing what's keeping your mind, body, and spirit from sweet, sound slumber. Your host, Dr. Debs, a celebrated columnist, lauded love, romance, relationship, and dating coach, offers simple, soothing solutions and heartfelt help. Dr. Debs will discuss topics such as finding and keeping the love you deserve, dating, marriage, parenting, setting boundaries, breaking the cycle, Breaking up, following your dreams. We respect your privacy and will not reveal names or contact info. If you'd like your questions answered during a show but are hesitant to call in, please feel free to write Dr. Debs at sleeplessinstudiocity at gmail.com and she will address your concerns on the next broadcast. You can also find updates and weekly affirmations on Facebook Sleepless in Studio City. And now, without further ado, Here's Dr. Debs! Thank you, Zach,
3: for that energizing introduction. Always a pleasure and honor to be here with all you night owls for another exciting episode of Sleepless in Studio City. Stay tuned for our magical musical interlude. I'll be presenting the incredible queen of jazz, Claire Martin, in a live telephone interview from the UK. (laughs) You'll hear Claire performing a tune from her latest CD and revealing the meaning of music in her life. Advice for aspiring artists, What she believes is the key to finding and keeping love, and much, much more. Claire has been described as a crown jewel and the queen of jazz, eloquent, elegant, ranking among four or five of the finest female jazz vocalists on the planet. I was thinking about friendship, reciprocity, tit for tat. The biggest compliment a man can give a woman is, you're my best friend. The worst compliment a woman can hear is, you're my best friend. (laughs) Which reality is valid? Can they both be truths at the same time? Can you be at your worst and be at your best in the same breath? Can you have feelings of sadness and happiness at the same time? Can you be crying behind a mask of smiles or smiling behind a wall of tears? Can you be Miss Social Butterfly and yet terrified of intimacy? Can you be comfortable one on one, face to face, but fearful in crowds? Will the real you, the authentic you, please stand up? <laughs> I don't know about you folks, but I wear many masks and yes, sometimes the line gets blurred and even I'm confused of who I am at any given moment. Yet I find a multiple array of emotions and feelings keeps me alive, passionate, motivated, learning, growing, delving deeper, examining, and curious. I don't ever want to be flat, monotone, dullsville, bland, gray, vanilla, ordinary, or boring. I keep myself busy by changing hats, sometimes minute by minute. In one day, I can run the gamut from happy to sad, scared to brave, conservative to liberal. <laughs> are you like the Woody Allen chameleon analogy? Or are you so set in your ways, following the same path that you're leery to stray from the trail you've made for yourself? Are you loath to change the street you walk on? Do you follow the same routine every single day? I could never do that. It's like the Stepford Wives or Groundhog's Day. I used to show up at work wearing a different outfit from a different era with a different theme each and every day. One day I would dress like a cowgirl, another a fashion maven, another a hippie, another a debutante. (laughs) It kept my working much more interesting. No monotony for me. And I didn't have to move from job to job. I could stay longer than ever, keeping things static and diverse. It's the same in relationships. I'm driven to keep them moving and grooving, changing, not stagnant, mutable, not fixed and rigid, even with girlfriends. I'm not sure who and what I'll be when I rise." Will I be shy? Will I be demure? Will I be gregarious? Will I be passive? Will I be aggressive? Will I be brave? Will I be rich? Here's what my mother said to me. Que sera, sera. whatever will be, will be. The future's not ours to see. <laughs> que sera, sera. That's what my mother used to sing to me. I had no idea what she's talking about. But it sounds good today (laughs) to accept things as they are. Okay, so I'm never aggressive. We'll have to cross that one out. And I won't ever be the rager, but I may be silent or talkative. Opposites attract, and I keep myself attracted to myself by a myriad of personalities. It might confuse people. I've had friends absolutely shocked when I tell them I'm shy on the inside and all they've seen is Miss Social Butterfly. Others are aghast when I express sadness and squash their impression that I'm super positive Pollyanna at all costs. The real kicker is when I let them know I have feelings of loneliness, fear, insecurity, jealousy. They think I'm Miss of Gibraltar. <laughs> I've created such a facade, I can't even break it. And vice versa, those who hear my woes can't believe I'm happy-go-lucky most of the time. A conundrum for sure, which brings me to the reciprocity or tit-for-tat topic that's come across my mind lately, especially regarding friendships. I'm so used to either being the giver or the receiver, but never both and usually not equally. What a concept! I'm excited to experiment with being on equal footing. Recently, I met a woman who I feel I could have reciprocity with. It's like having met my match, my person, my worthy opponent. I don't mean in a sexual romantic way, but in a she gets me way. Wow, that would be the holy grail, someone who gets me. I've been looking for that in a romantic relationship, but haven't found it. They're either totally intimidated by me so I can walk all over them, which I don't like doing, or I'm so intimidated by them that I walk on eggshells. Even with same-sex friendships, I'm always taking care of them and helping them, fixing them. Or with others, I'm getting fixed or asking them to help me when I'm down and troubled and need some love and care and nothing, nothing is going right. What an idea to be able to be up and share that. Or down and share that, not have to worry about only being the giver or the taker. Ah, a give and take an equal balance. When the seesaw is perfectly balanced, it's heaven, harmony, and all runs smoothly. Even in the rest of my life, I've been black or white, all or nothing. Now I'm craving being one among many, not being better than or worse than. What a dysfunctional syndrome. I think that's the real epidemic, what ails the planet, something we need a vaccine for, COVID aside. People take on their roles at an early age. Are they going to be a giver or a taker? Are they going to be at the bottom of the heap or the top of the heap? Are they going to be worse than or better than? What a trap to fall into. It's like being in the prison of the mind on a merry-go-round and there's no getting off the ride. Running circles. I've decided not only to jump off the merry-go-round, but get on a different ride. (laughs) Not a spinning ride that's going in circles, but one where I'm on a journey, a new path to freedom. From my tedious, wearisome, repetitive, insipid, stodgy, vapid, tiresome, irksome, trying, frustrating story. Freedom from the negative messages and thoughts consuming my every waking minute. Freedom from the dry, dreary, stale, banal, lackluster, humdrum, monochrome movie. To one in technicolor with luminosity, radiance, brightness, brilliance, glow, gleam, and luster. I'm ready to reach for the sky. In fact, I'm ready to have my name written in the sky across the universe of my mishbukah. I don't have to be invisible or hide anymore behind a mask for you to like me and accept me. I can speak. I have a voice. I have value. That's my purpose on the planet. I've found my happy place, my purpose. It's not only in helping others, but in finding that equilibrium where I can balance on the balance beam, that perfect position where I can hold a pose for more than a second. I can hold a relationship for more than a few months or a year. It's hard to hold a fake smile for longer than a minute. Now I don't have to worry about always having a smile on my face. I can go with the flow and let the universe carry me down the waterway, down the river, through the ups and downs. I don't have to fear being consumed by the behavior of others or buy into their mishigas. It's not about what you say or don't say or what you do or don't do. If we're supposed to commune, we will. I don't have to go changing to try to please you. I also don't have to hold you hostage out of fear no one else will come along that will accept me. I can let you be and let you go, let your wings take you where they're meant to go. I don't have to hold on so tight you can't breathe. I don't have to smother you with my expectations, my wants, needs, demands, desires. I no longer have to put all my eggs in one basket. I used to think I had to meet the one who would be my everything. That is the biggest fantasy of all that one human being can be your lover, friend, teacher, mother, father, sister, brother. I really used to say those words to myself as in a song that I would only be happy when I found someone that had all those qualities. Today, someone told me that she wrote a list of 20 qualities she was looking for in a relationship and that her now husband has all of those qualities except for two. Ha <laughs> I don't even know anymore what those would be, especially the outer qualities. I only know some of the inner ones, but even those aren't absolute. I've given up the list of impossible qualifications that no one can ever live up to. I've exchanged those for an empty page that I look at now as I get to know someone. Are they kind, loving, patient, considerate in this moment? It's not realistic to demand that any human being rise to the level of my inordinately ridiculous, excessive, preposterous stipulations and conditions, my commands and demands. I remember one time writing up a contract with a boyfriend of all the things he had to do to stay with me. (laughs) And of course he signed it and then proceeded to do a few of them for a few weeks or a few days or a few months. And then, well, we all know the moral of that story. You can't change anyone but yourself. I've turned the index finger pointed out there at them around and looking now at the three fingers pointed back at me. What a glorious, luminous, transforming time it's been. Finally focusing on what I have power over, me, myself, and I. That's it. I can't control you or what you say or don't say or do or don't do. And I certainly can't control what you believe or how you behave. But guess what, folks? Here's the answer to the question of the century regarding how to find happiness. It's changing my own behavior. Looking at what I'm doing, how I want to be in the world, who I want to be in the world, not how I want you to be or what I want you to do. Do I want to be kind, loving, patient, and tolerant? Those are simply four words that are worth all the tea in China. Invaluable, treasured, precious words. Kind, loving, patient, and tolerant. I get to spend my precious moments focusing on how I can be more kind, loving, patient, and tolerant rather than trying to get you to be all of those assets. I can finally sigh a breath of relief, having much more energy to be creative because I'm not spinning on the spinning wheel, trying to manipulate or get you to do and see things my way so I can feel okay in the world. I'm okay in the world as long as my side of the street is clean. That's all I have to do. It's simple. I used to spin my wheels, trying not only to show you how to clean up your act, which I was sure I knew how to do, or sprinkling fairy dust on you to make you happy. Of course, it was always Deb's nose best. (laughs) And to insist that you do it my way or see the highway. I'm getting exhausted just hearing about that. I've found the peaceful, easy mode of relating in the world. Currently, I have ample time to laugh, dance, write, play music, sing, because there's only one task in the world. That's to be my highest self, to practice the four principles in all my affairs, love, kindness, patience, and tolerance. Ah, (laughs) so that's the answer. I was taught it was to be a doctor, lawyer, wife, mother, Best friend, lover, worker, pacifist, activist. Yes, I can still be all of those things at different times in my life, but I'll only be successful at anything I do if I'm being kind, loving, patient, and tolerant in the process. It's not about the results of whether I win. It's not how I play the game. It's not winning the war at all costs. It's how I fight the battle, which is only through fairness. I love how easy this process is. Why didn't someone tell me many moons ago in school? Why didn't my parents emulate this? Not to fret over the past, I'm celebrating in the here and now. I'm so jazzed to go out into the blissful hood with the remembrance, recollection, awareness that all is well right here and right now for my highest good and the highest good of all those I care about. And so it is. That is is the peace de resistance. Seeking the highest good. Seeking my highest self. Focusing on where I have the power. (laughs) Now it's time for our caller. Hello there. Welcome to Sleepless in Studio City. I'm Dr. Debs. And who am I speaking with? Hi, Dr. Debs. This is Joanne. Hi, Joanne. And where are you calling from? Oh, pa- Pasadena. Pasadena. Well, welcome to the show, Joanne from Pasadena. And what's on your mind tonight? What's keeping you from sweet, soft slumber?
1: Well, you know, um, we're all stuck inside with each other. And I'm stuck inside with my sister and her husband and his brother and my nephew. Which Whoa, a that's a lot person. of
3: people. <laughs> yeah.
1: And uh let's see, we have four cats and two dogs. And wow. so, um yeah, most of the time that's okay. I've been here for a while and uh but now that we're kind of all stuck together, the issues that we had before are are multiplied oh. <laughs> or magnified. And uh and you know, mostly we get along but when we don't get along, um, the way that we all deal with it is is sometimes difficult and not to say that i'm not to blame either um for instance um, my sister has a tendency to yell um at things that i think are trivial or the way that she deals with things and then i never used to be the type to yell but now i find myself yelling back
0: Mm. (laughs) and
1: calling people names and that's not good you know so um we, you know, we fight about silly things, and then, luckily, we make up fast. But it's still wearing and stressful. And
3: it sounds like it, and you're not alone, Joanne. This is going on <laughs> so many places. As a matter of fact, I was talking to someone. I think it was in England, and she said there's so many more cases of domestic violence since people mm-hmm. have been sheltering, and that it's really turning into an epidemic of people not getting along, people getting divorced, and also because everybody's on edge and their emotions are high, there's just a lot of anger that's coming out in inappropriate ways. I was talking to a couple who's been married for 37 years, and there might have been a couple of moments of rage, but now, just like you said, everything's intensified and magnified.
1: And, and And a lot of times it's over just silly things like
3: um, mostly it's between
1: uh, my nephew and I and my sister kind of always taking his side and never having him take responsibility and and that drives me crazy and um, her saying that I am on his case too much but um, I try not to be but when I ask him to do he's a grown man you know he's 39 years old but he lives here too we're all kind of helping each other out financially and that's all good and um we're a very loving family but when he either fails to do something that needs to be done and i have to ask him 25 times or the 26th time i am on this case and if i don't ask him then i end up having to do it which sometimes is easier But other times, it's like, even affects my sister. Um, Can I give you an example?
3: I would love to hear one.
1: Well, this is kind of silly, but yesterday, uh, my sister has a cat who um, came down with pneumonia, but he's doing better, and he threw up yesterday, and my nephew just went and said, oh, the cat threw up, and and I said, where? And he said something like, there by where you are or something like that and my sister heard something else and she's scrambling around the floor looking in the wrong place so I go to the top of the stairs we live down and I said "Where's where you know I'm asking him where, where and he's not answering and I'm like where and then she proceeds to say stop yelling at him <laughs> where and I get in a big fight and, and I said look he's telling you the wrong place and I'm trying to help you so it's like things like that and then I proceed to tell her that I think he's a jerk because he won't get up, and you know, or just even answer to help us out, you know. Right. And other times he's extremely helpful when we need something that he's good at that we're not. Or, you know, like even the other day, again, we were coming home from the store with groceries, and I said, call him and ask him to come out and help us. And he tends to be, like, lazy. I hate to say it, but he's, like, laying in bed. Um, we're waiting and waiting and waiting, and then we end up having to bring everything in because he ha- he's like a snail. And I guess I start to resent it because it's like, I just think it's... She has caused him to, to be able to have that behavior, and, you know, he's not my kid, so I can't say anything too much, but... It's
3: really annoying. Mm. It sounds like a difficult situation. And the good news is this is a wonderful opportunity. They say everything in life is either a gift or a lesson. This sounds like a great chance for transformation of yourself, just like the corona is. You know, a lot of people (laughs) are suffering. But it's a great opportunity for change and transformation. And I think the whole world is starting to transform, but it's not from the outside, it's from the inside. And Mm -hmm. I can see that even happening with you right now because you're calling about it and you're aware of it. That's a lot of the lesson right there and the change already. It's just being aware of what's going on. And I took a lot of notes because light bulbs were going on all over the place because I relate. Is this family dynamic that is going on between you and your sister and your nephew, anything familiar as far as growing up and what kind of family you grew up Mm -hmm. in?
1: Um, the only thing that's familiar is that my sister has the same temper that she had when we were young, and that always drove me crazy, you know, and being uh the youngest, um I never used to you know I was intimidated by that, which I'm not now, and so we end up confronting each other more um, and sometimes when I even try to say, you know, let it go, or she tells me to let it go, and I don't let it go, so I've, you know, it's, but I do see that I'm trying, but I can't always achieve this, to not be as reactive to their reactions, or, uh. you know, or how I could have maybe handled it differently, like, looking back, I could have walked down the stairs and said, asked him, and, you know, because I was at the top of the stairs, kind of yelling down because I was trying to find out quickly. I mean, there's always different ways you can handle it, but it's easier to look back than it is sometimes, even though you're aware of it, to do things in the present moment that, you know, that are, would be better.
3: <laughs> well, kudos to you, Joanne, for recognizing this. You're super insightful. So that's (laughs) great news. I love how you were talking about the yelling and how it's contagious because certain family dynamics, and you said she's been doing that for your whole life. So that's familiar to you. But the contagious part, it's kind of like the corona contagious, but it's a different kind (laughs) of virus. It's the family virus. And it sounds like that's what's going on here as far as your sister starting to yell and then you'll engage. And so you've caught that virus. From her, I and think that's. He caught
1: it from my dad. Oh, there
3: you go. Okay, that's what I was <laughs> I referring said, to. Yeah. Okay, when I said family dynamics Yeah, so,
1: yeah, now I get it. Yeah. Right,
3: and so it is contagious, and it goes on, and unless someone breaks the cycle, it continues. It's hereditary. It's like DNA. You know, you have brown oh, yeah. hair. We have brown hair. The yelling and the way of dealing with anger especially, and also dealing with love and joy, all the emotions and the feelings, but especially with the anger. And if somebody doesn't break the cycle, it continues. And I come from a long line of screamers and yellers and ragers. I've had to break the cycle, and it's not easy. So when you said you try not to engage and you can look at it back, I hear you. And it is not easy. And the good news, again, is that you're recognizing it. Most people never, ever even see that. So there's no possibility even for change, but you're already on your way. I wouldn't even have to talk to you anymore, and you're already on your way to breaking the cycle because you've acknowledged it. I feel it. And I can hear it in your tone of voice. I'm cheering you on. I have lots of tools for your toolkit that you can keep with you so that when this does happen, as you said, it's really hard to stop once you've got the virus. Hmm. You know, once you've caught it, it's almost hard to just get over it. Just like we need a vaccine, right? And we need a vaccine to keep from engaging in the raging. But you can, (laughs) engaging in the raging, you can, and I have some simple things, we don't change overnight, and it takes practice. You have a wonderful classroom right here where you're living, because you've got your sister, you've got your nephew, they're blessings right now for you, because this is an opportunity, and I'm sure they're not the last ragers that you're going to be around it's a perfect time for you to start your healing process. I don't know if you know anything about verbal abuse or raging. When somebody's raging at you with words or expressions or even the silent treatment, that's damaging to you physically, emotionally, spiritually, mentally, in every single way. Verbal abuse can be more damaging than physical abuse, because a wound that's on your body like a black and blue mark can heal. But the damage from verbal abuse does not heal. It stays. It is permanent damage. The only way to heal that is (laughs) lifetime's of intense work on healing the shame that binds you and on working on yourself to get past that. It's really impossible, though. It doesn't heal like a black and blue mark. When you think about it and you're having someone raging at you, if you can remember that you're the one hurting, it's almost like your sister is hitting you or shooting but, a but, gun. Yeah.
1: And also, you know, I, I, I come back in a way that's not really great either because she yells at me, and then I call her
3: name. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's because that's what you've been taught, and that's the family dynamic. But that was then, and this is now, because now you are aware of it, and you can break the cycle.
1: Yeah.
3: But it good. could stop right here. The buck stops here right now. Right now, in this moment, in this phone call, the buck can stop.
1: That's good. Yeah, I have been walking away more. Um as was suggested by a friend. And that's <laughs> what I was going to
3: ask you. What kind of things are in your toolkit right now?
1: Um, well, I, I tell her, stop yelling at me. And I try to do it in, not by yelling at her. Stop yelling at me. Or, I'm, or I just say, I'm not going to you know, talk to you. Or well, I go downstairs. or you know. Um, but I, yeah, that's the main thing.
3: Does that work or, when you tell her stop yelling it's, at me? Yeah,
1: it, it, sometimes <laughs> if, <laughs> it works it, it, if I don't, you know, if I just walk away, it's easier. Um, and other times, uh, if it makes her angrier, if I say, you know, don't, don't uh, get so angry, or why are you so angry at something that's so trivial? She she just gets angrier at that. So. That doesn't work. (laughs) The best thing, really, is to just let her know that if she yells at me, I'm not going to talk to her. But the other problem, besides the yelling, is the denial or the defending of my nephew. When I try to talk to her about it, the same problem comes up. and She goes, I know, I've told him, but I said, but you don't do anything about it. You don't follow through, you know? It's like... This has been going on since he was a child, and so that dynamic between them is not going to change very easily, and so it, and it affects me. Right. <coughs> so, and I'm going to um,
3: separate those two for a minute. First, I mm-hmm. want to just focus on your relationship with your sister, and then I'll get to your nephew. Okay. The first thing I'm hearing you say a lot when you talk about your sister is she, she, she... When I hear that, I see you pointing the finger at her. I don't know if you've heard this before, but when one finger is pointed at someone else, there's three back at you. I'm going to focus at the three that are back at you because you made the call and I'm invested in helping you heal and be the best person you can be. Because you said to me, I don't like myself when I'm yelling back.
1: Right, right.
3: From here, it sounds like, and you said again, this has been going on since your childhood, there's a boundary issue here. I don't know if you know that word, boundaries, or if that's something easy for you to set a boundary, or if you've ever consciously, mindfully set boundaries before with her. Have Mm -hmm. you?
1: Yeah. Uh, Well, that is a boundary with her, where I say, if you're going to yell at me, then I'm leaving the room. Okay.
3: And do you do that in the moment?
1: I have. More recently,
3: yes. I recommend not doing it in the moment. I recommend anger by appointment only. And I recommend not doing it in the heat of the moment, but ahead of time. And it's a boundary setting that you talk to her when neither of you are angry, when you're relaxed, feeling comfortable, and everybody's calm. I would Mm -hmm. recommend that it's something between you and her and not involving her husband or your nephew, Mm and that you have a conversation (coughs) with her. And if this is true, tell her that Mm -hmm. I really want our relationship to be the best it could be. I want it to be better. I love you and I care about you and I want it to be better. In your own words, you can even ask her, is that something you would like? Because that's something I aspire to. You can say to her, what would help me to be a better person in our relationship is if I set a boundary with you and let you know ahead of time that when you raise your voice... I'm going to leave for a certain period of time, and then I'll be back. And I just want to let you know ahead of time, so you know when I leave, it's because you've raised your voice. What you're saying is, here's the consequences of raising your voice. So she knows ahead of time that when she raises her voice at you, and I'm not even saying yelling, because for me, it starts when the tone changes the yelling comes later. You know, you must know that her demeanor changes before the yelling even starts, right?
1: Right. And, and, right. Um, you yeah, know her well right. enough.
3: She's your sister. You can see in her body language, her muscles might tighten up or she just might raise the voice a little, but it, you know when it's going to start. Well, the
1: problem, the only problem, I, I definitely agree with you doing that. The only problem is there's so many times when it's, it's just a small thing. Um, and she's not raising her voice a lot, but it's always like, it seems like...
3: Right, but this, again, is an excuse for the abuse, and there's no excuse for it. No, And there's no justification, and you don't have to have it be big.
1: I'm not saying that I'm making an excuse. I'm saying is it could be like I'm looking in the refrigerator for something, and I have a refrigerator downstairs, and she has one upstairs, and I'm like, where's the whatever? And she's like, Just look in there. Why can't you ever look in there and find it? And I'm like, okay, I'm looking, but I still don't find it. Okay, stop right there.
3: You already engaged. If you respond at all to a shot like that, because that's already Mm -hmm. a shot. Yeah. That's like like a hit. That's a hit. You don't have to wait until the gun is in your heart and your back. You don't have to wait for the screaming the minute the second you have any discomfort, like, again, when the tone of the voice changes. And already you said to me the tone changed because she said, ba about the refrigerator, right? I could hear the yeah. tone. When you were telling me the story, I heard the tone change in your voice.
1: Yeah, well, I was using that as, I mean, <laughs> right. And so that means
3: well, that means her tone changed. And that's when the boundary comes that's when you stop, pause, and remove yourself either verbally and or physically. In that situation, if you want to continue being in the kitchen and getting what you're getting, your pause and your taking a time out is to be silent.
1: Yeah, Yeah, and I have mentioned, I think I have mentioned to her when we're not engaged um, that if she would talk to me in a normal tone of voice and not react all the time in that way, that it would, you know, be better because...
3: Again, though, you're pointing the finger at her. When you set the boundary... put
1: it a different way. I'm saying when you talk to me in that tone of voice, you know, I, I tried to explain this to her no explaining
3: yeah. there's no explaining well, you don't need well, to explain well, we, all you have to in a boundary you don't explain you just mm-hmm. say when you raise your voice i'm going to leave for a period of time you're just saying what you're going to do the most important thing is that you've got to follow through even if it's a tiny little change of tone if you mm-hmm. say I would
1: never
3: be up there <laughs> <laughs> you're so cute. Well on that note, hold that thought that you' never be up there because I'm going to do a turnaround so we could make that positive. But we're going to take a brief station break and okay, we'll be sure. right back to talk about boundaries, which is my favorite topic. Thank you so much for bringing it up, Joanne. So hold on to that thought Sure. The moment you've been waiting for our magical musical interlude, Featuring the amazing jazz vocalist, live here from the UK, Claire Martin. Welcome to the show, Claire. (laughs) I'm thrilled to be part of your show, and good morning to you from Brighton, England. Oh, it's such a pleasure and honor to have you. I'm so jazzed. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. So how does it feel to be deemed the Queen of British Jazz? Oh, listen, that's
0: just a little sleep. Line that people say the the Queen of British jazz. If you know, I mean, anything about jazz has got to be Cleo Lane. I mean, Cleo Lane is still with us and singing in her nineties. She really is the mothership of this music. Um, a career over seventy years, married to the great John Dankworth, her daughter sings, her son's a great bass player. It's like jazz. That is real jazz royalty. I mean. I, and, and I think people just say Queen of British Church. It, it's nice to be recognised as somebody doing it over here, but I'm, I'm not the Queen. <laughs> I'm like the sort of I'm like the second cousin's maid.
3: <laughs> oh, well, that's so sweet. I love that you're humble. And how was it to receive the OBE?
0: Oh, that was great. Well at first I thought it was a bit of a joke because I was thinking, What? Services to jazz You know, I I I thought it was my brother playing a prank actually. <laughs> um and I but it because immediately I thought of all the people that really do deserve an award for their absolute contribution to this art form. But then I realised, well no, it was for me and it was for me to take for all the women in jazz really in this country and to shine a light on this music which is as you well know, it's specialist in as far as it's not, you know, pop. Um, so I went with my parents and my husband, and we had a re- <laughs> we had a really, really great day out. It was quite something. Sadly, the Queen had a headache that day. I had Prince Charles giving me the, um, <laughs> the medal, but he was he was charming, and um, it was fantastic. And I'm I'm now I wouldn't say my life has changed because of it, but it's a nice thing to have on the piano.
3: Oh wow! That just sounds absolutely amazing. Right. Yeah. And speaking of recognizing jazz, why do you think it's not such an admirable art form as some of the other genres of music?
0: I just think, yeah. Well, that's that's a question I've been asked throughout the years. I mean, I've been doing this for thirty-two years professionally, and I've often thought about it and been asked that. And you know, jazz was a popular music of the. 30s and 40s and a little bit of the 50s. Really, um, it's just it's just music that has kind of you know it lives on because it's fantastic. But it's it, it's not popular music. It's not what like my daughter who's 17 doesn't listen to jazz. She listens to all sorts of other different stuff. So it's it's not it's not popular for a start. Also, secondly, it takes some input from the listener. You know, a lot of improvised music. You know, you need to sit there and just come with us on this ride. I don't know if people have got the attention span for jazz, or some people think it's too elitist, or it's too difficult, and you've got to be in the know. People have a preconception about it, which is often wrong, and I'm always thrilled when somebody comes up to me after a gig and says, I've never been to a jazz gig, and it was great. Thank you. I really enjoy it. I love jazz now, and I'm so pleased about that, you know, because most people say they love Ella Fitzgerald. Of course they do, but then do they go to a jazz club? I think sometimes they they don't. They, They don't know what to expect. So I think it's just a case of the people that are doing it are just gonna keep spreading the word and I'm grateful to be on your show and talk about it and because it's niche and it shouldn't be everybody should listen to Jazz but it's never gonna happen. Being the underdog really, isn't it?
3: Yes. And wouldn't that be nice, though, if they taught it in schools? I was just thinking about that. A lot yeah. of it has to do with education. You're saying people don't understand. They think it's some complicated and some kind of yes. bizarre, off-the-wall form of music, and it's well, not. <laughs>
0: it's, such a, it's such a small word, which is for such a lot of different styles. There are some very off the wall, complicated styles within jazz, but there's also mainstream, and there's lots of swing, and there's lots of trad, and there's lots of contemporary. Music. I mean, it's, there's so many styles: funk, jazz, funk. I teach at a, a, a university here, and we do a jazz afternoon, and I I show them all these students. There's you, you may not like trad jazz, but you just absolutely might love you might love free jazz, or you might just want to stick with. Mainstream and get into some great Louis Armstrong. There's so much to choose from, mm. but it's having it's being offered the choice and not being sort of bamboozled, thinking that you need to, to really understand what they're doing to enjoy it. I think that's the, that's the misconception.
3: I love that. Mm. Do you have a favorite genre in the jazz domain?
0: <laughs> well, I mean, I I love straight ahead stuff. I mean, I, I'm a big fan of the great singers like Shirley Horn and Carmen McRae. I love Ella Fitzgerald, Sarah Vaughan. I mean, all the great singers, Sinatra, Tony Bennett. Um, So I guess mine would be kind of straight ahead swing mainstream music. But then I like like some modern jazz as well. Um, I'm not particularly into free jazz. I find that quite difficult. So I like some structure. Um, And I don't really listen to trad jazz, but um, there's a lot of it I like. And I think there's something for everybody in it if they just take a chance. (laughs)
3: <laughs> We're like-minded souls in that vein. And speaking of other artists, I understand you co-hosted the BBC Radio 3's Jazz Show. Did you have any memorable interviews from
0: that? I really did. I was very lucky for 17 years. I was um, co-hosting a show called Jazz Lineup, which was a fantastic. It was music and, and conversation. Um, and I met... I met Pat and I interviewed Andre Previn, I interviewed Diane Reeves, um, I mean, it, the list was endless Brad Meldow, I mean, some of the great um, the, the great young players um, coming up, um, you know, uh, uh, that were coming into London to play at Ronnie Scott's, and then they would be coming into the BBC to talk to me to promote the album, so it kind of tied in really nicely. Mm. Um so yeah, I mean Diana Krall. I went to the, I went to her hotel and sat in her suite and interviewed her while she was pregnant. That was really great fun. Oh. Um, yeah, it was terrific. So and they, I think they liked being interviewed by a musician as well. I was going to ask some questions that weren't, you know, that I that, that would appeal to them as musician to musician. So yeah, it was it was really good fun. But um, the most memorable, I think, would probably have to be Michael Brecker, the great saxophonist, oh. who is uh, uh, just phenomenal. And he was so humble, and I was so nervous. I hardly slept the night before, because <laughs> he was just such a hero. But he was just lovely. So, um, oh. you know, that whole adage that the, the best are the nicest, I think, rings true the people I've met. been oh. fantastic.
3: Speaking of fellow musicians, what were some of your most memorable performances and the people you've performed with?
0: Oh, that's a good question. I mean, I've been very lucky to... Some of the memorable things I've done is I've, I've done a... I did a wonderful one. Um, I had a chance to go to Paris and sing with Stéphane Grappelli, the great violinist, um, uh-huh. jazz violinist, and we went and did an album in Paris. So that was terrific singing, uh-huh. Stéphane. I mean, it was just a joy. I was in my 20s. I I, I I really didn't... I kind of realized how special it was, but it wasn't until afterwards. I thought, wow, he really is a jazz legend. And I've done, I did some, I used to open for Tony Bennett when he came to, to Glasgow. I, I was the opening act. I also opened for Al Jarreau and the wonderful Kurt Elling, the great singer Kurt Elling, who really, truly is the greatest jazz singer, male jazz singer of our time, I think. Mm. Um, so I've met lots of um, lots of greats. But, and, and also singing with Richard Rodney Bennett, who is a English um, singer, pianist, composer, a wonderful man. It's sadly not with us anymore. And we would do residences at the Algonquin in New York. And um, singing with him was just a thrill. So I've been lucky. I've, I've you know, I've worked with some phenomenally talented people. Um, yeah, and, and, and that I think is due to, you know, being in the right place at the right time and also having a bit of luck. But, um, yeah, it's it, as I say, it's a, small, it's a small scene. So I've kind of, I've met some of the real greats. And I've also worked with him. Um, the highlight of my recording career was to make a record with Kenny Barron, the wonderful pianist Kenny Barron. Oh. Um, we did an album um, recorded in New York that um, I think it was probably about seven or eight years ago now. Wow! Um, and that was just like whoa. That was a sensational moment in my in my career because to me, he is the epitome of jazz. He has got the you know he's got the whole heritage. In his blood, he is just the real deal. So oh. me coming from Britain, as a little Brit coming over, <laughs> with him, I couldn't believe my luck.
3: <laughs> well, that does sound like royal and majestic on that. How did you first get turned on to jazz, and what's your history or her story behind music in your life? Well, I,
0: Yeah, I think uh, I think it's my parents are jazz fans. My mum and dad are music lovers. They're still with us, bless them although I haven't seen them because of this virus. They are in lockdown in London, and I'm in lockdown in Brighton, so I haven't seen them. But they are very much into the greats that we love, you know, as I said before, the the wonderful list of singers like Ella Fitzgerald, and, um, you know, Frank Sinatra, Tony Bennett, Victor Moins. I grew up in a household of jazz lovers, and then I, when I got my first professional job at 19, I kind of knew all the, not all of them, but a lot of the great American songbook standard repertoire and I went to sing in a band in a hotel, just to be the singer in this band where people would dance after dinner. It was like waltzes oh. and quick steps, oh. and so I used all my knowledge of the American songbook to sing for people that were dancing and twirling around the dance floor. Oh. And it was then I thought, oh, I can get, I can get paid to do this music. And then I started taking it really seriously, and um, it went on from there, really. But it started, I guess, the seed was planted through listening to music in, growing up in my house in London. So um, I got to thank my parents really for, for that, at least.
3: Oh, <laughs> and did you have any official training, or are you self-taught?
0: Well, I'm, I'm still well, I'm still learning. I'm still having piano lessons. I, I had a singing teacher in England, uh, who's, who's still I see often um and there's a a woman in um new york city called marilyn johnson who became a real good friend and we met on the cruise ships and she's taught me quite loads about singing but i've kind of learned on the job and i've had singing lessons and um over the years and you know uh, now i'm a singing teacher but i learned through a classical singer Verona her own child she taught me a classical technique really not that i sing classical or opera but the technique is the same and um yeah, so I've kind of had not formal training like you can do now, in England now, you can go to university and get a degree in jazz, you can have a jazz degree, which wow. is super cool, or you can go to Berkeley, all these wonderful places in America that, you know, these fantastic jazz courses, but that kind of wasn't available to me, so I had to learn as I was going, learn on the on the ground, you know what I mean, so... The yeah. best
3: way to learn <laughs> street smarts. <laughs>
0: uh, yeah, yes, I, I had to. I had to make some money and pay rent, so I got chucked out of the scene quite early. But in a way, I wish I had gone to university. But too late now.
3: You are brilliant in my eyes, and I would really love to learn from someone like you that has practical Thank you. experience. Because I've learned a lot in books, and I've have a lot of degrees, and I find that the most things I've learned is through living and my life and contact with other people and through other people and experience, you know, rather than book sure. learning. So, and speaking yeah. of experience, what is the meaning of music in your life?
0: Well, it is my life. It, the meaning of it is, it, it, it is everything I do, everything I think. It keeps me alive in my soul and in my head, and it puts food on my table, and it uplifts me, and it, I cry to it and laugh to it and run to it and uh, try and be a good person on this planet because of it because it's, it's given me a lifeline to a career that's opened doors all over the world and I'm in- t- eternally grateful to it and I think it's medicine for everybody.
3: Oh, I'm so touched. I got chills from head to toe and I have <laughs> a little tears. I'm teary-eyed and so moved because I know I feel the same way and... Um, You know, especially right now, the healing power of music. I started a a singer-songwriter showcase on Zoom and it's basically just because I wanted to contribute to bring the healing power of music into people's living rooms. You said medicine. I feel like you know what? We might not get a vaccine and maybe we don't need a vaccine, but we need the international, universal language of music that heals everybody's heart and soul. When you talk about jazz it's like, I never knew about Jazz, but I heard jazz. And when I first heard someone playing the piano, they were playing Bill Evans. I didn't know what jazz was, but I heard oh. these sounds and they literally went through my body. I felt oh, that. Like from head to toe. And mm. I was like, what is that? I went running in there. I was just so drawn. And that's to me the power of jazz, how it touches yeah. you on a deep, deep level.
0: Yeah, that's uh, all you need. Right? That's all you need. <laughs> Yeah, if you it, you know and 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 some people just can't hear it or they it doesn't touch them and that's fair enough. It's just a bit like me and hard rock music that will never be, you know, it it's a music that speaks to certain people and I think uh, I think it's a special thing, and that's a lovely story. Bill <laughs> as well. I mean, wow. Oh yes, uh, yes, yes. The yes. king,
3: the, exactly. Well, speaking of love, and you said you were married, and this show is about love. What do you think is the key to finding and keeping love?
0: Oh, <laughs> that's very funny because because we're on as we're on lockdown now. Um, this weekend, my husband is actually going to get a tent and camp in the garden for the weekend to get some sprays from each other. <laughs>
3: <ever>. That's <laughs> well, it's, the key <laughs> not that we're
0: arguing but it's I think yeah. we're very I think it comes down to the fact that we respect each other and understand there's gotta be especially now a little bit of space and distance because we're on top of each other. Um but I think our key I've only been married twelve years this year but um I think it's just Mutual respect, and uh, he's—I've fell on my feet. I actually asked him to marry me on leap year, on, <laughs> on when ladies every the 29th, when the women are allowed to ask. <laughs> oh right! Ask yes, I yeah, love I, that I story. So, um, so I think it's—I mean, we're just still discovering each other, and he's a lovely Canadian, and uh, he's he's wonderful, and um, I think we just. We love and respect each other, we enjoy music, and um, I don't know what the secret is, I think the secret is compromise, patience, and respect, oh. and of course, you know, just really enjoying being with each other, but I, I got married at 41, you know, I was ready to, I'd, I'd kind of, <laughs> I kind of knew what I wanted by then, <laughs> I wasn't in my 20s, so uh, I, I, I lucked out, so um yep. But it's, it's a work in progress, isn't it, marriage? I mean, it's, it, every day throws up something else. This is interesting, this time, actually, where you're forced to be at home, I think. And unfortunately, it's having an adverse effect. In England, there's a huge amount of domestic violence, and it's a terrifying statistic with what's going on with lockdown, and that's one of the things that's making it very difficult to listen to on the news. So not there are some people very really struggling in this situation, so I count myself... Incredibly
3: lucky. Wow, I didn't know that and my heart goes out. Wow.
0: Oh, yeah. oh, I'm Oh terrible,
3: an advocate. I, like I yes, and I'm an advocate against any kind of violence, especially domestic violence, so that's sad yeah, to it's hear. It gone
4: through the race. It comes through the race.
3: That's so sad to hear, but I do love how you talked about respect and getting your space. I don't know if you've ever heard of agape love, but agape love is the highest form of love. It's doing something that's in the best interest of the other person, even if it means having to separate from them. So what you're Mm. practicing and your husband's practicing by going in the yard is, you know, (laughs) respecting. (laughs) No, it's like loving each (laughs) other enough to give each other space. I love it. It's great. Yeah. I hope that people remember not social distancing for the physical space, but to respect each other's emotional, mm. verbal, and psychological space that we don't. Yes, respect. I think
0: it's incredibly important. Right? I think it's really important. Yeah. So, um, I'm not. I mean, I said to him, he's he's going to cook out there. He's doing the whole thing. I said, I I just don't even have to. I can lock the back door, but doesn't even have to come in. <laughs> I think he's gonna, he's gonna pee out there. That's he's going the whole nine yards. Excuse me, telling you that information. He's not coming back in. <laughs> I love it So there's no
3: loo out there You don't have a, a, no, a separate just gonna loo
0: do, No, he's <laughs> going to be doing it behind the tree
3: I love it Oh my gosh, that's so great Well, yeah. I am so excited to hear a tune that you've chosen tonight for us to hear okay. And what is that? What have you chosen?
0: Okay So I, I, this is special to me because this is going to be released on an album in June and it's a very young, 29-year-old English arranger called Callum Ao. And Callum Ao is half English, half Chinese, and he's really making waves in England. And he asked me to be the singer on his forthcoming album with Orchestra. Oh. And I leapt at the chant because singing with an orchestra is a singer's dream. And the song I've chosen and the one I sent to you I think is perfect for our times because it's a classic hokey Carmichael um song, and the title is "I Get Along Without You Very Well,"
3: oh. um, and
0: it's been it's been sung by so many singers: Son Archer, Peggy Lee. Uh, I mean, it's it's it, and it's for, for me at the moment. We're all trying to put a stiff upper lip, the British stiff upper lip, and I get along without you very well, of course. And it's it's actually we're not. I'm really missing my parents and all my friends, and so it's kind of bittersweet for our times when we're all trying so hard. To isolate, and it just goes against the grain of myself as a sociable person. So I thought, from the forthcoming album, if you would kindly play Herky Carmichael's I Get Along Without You Very Well, that would be amazing.
3: Oh, I just got chills again Just the title I get along (laughs) without you very well It touched me I'm so excited to hear it Before we do Is there anything else You'd like to say To your friends Family and fans Oh
0: I would would just Well I'm so grateful That you're You know That you're playing this music It's difficult for English artists To come to America not because it's difficult to get the gigs, but because the visa situation and the flights, and it's very difficult. But I'm very supported by wonderful singers like Mark Winkler, whose songs I sing and record. And
3: oh, he was just on the show and he lives around yeah, the corner I saw from that. me. yes. Yeah. I love, he's, he's a really great good friend. Aww. I'm going to
0: Zoom him. I'm Zooming him tonight, so I'll tell him that I spoke to oh, you. Oh, great. Um, I just want to say thanks to everybody that shows support to the, you know, the. This English girl that sings this American music. <laughs> I really truly
3: appreciate it. <laughs> well, thank you. Oh my gosh, I'm thank so. Thank you, Deb. I just you've just uplifted my spirit Aww. and brought such mind. light. Oh, thank you. Without further ado, we're going to hear Claire Martin singing Hoagie Carmichael's "I Get Along Without You Very Well." from her upcoming CD with the trombonist Callum Ah. Take it away, Claire.
0: I get along without you very well Of course I Except when soft rains fall and drip from leaves,
1: then I recall the thrill of being sheltered.
0: i forgotten you just like I should
1: Of course I have Except to hear your name Or oh, someone's laugh that is the same Yes, I've forgotten you just like I
3: should
4: what
1: a Heart could kid the moon, what's in stone?
0: Should I phone once more? No, it's best that I stick
1: to my tune. spring, but I should never think of spring, for that would surely break my heart.
3: Perhaps in spring.
1: But I should never think of spring, for
0: that would surely.
3: How great was that? Welcome back to the show, Joanne. We were talking about boundary setting, having a toolbox that you can use when you're with your relatives during Corona, if you're living with them or any other time. This stuff is so valuable. It is a treasure chest that you can use setting boundaries with anybody at any time, anywhere. How lucky you have these family members that are allowing you to practice. (laughs) (laughs) It's great. So you were talking about that you've done this before, and that if you set this boundary with your sister, you would be setting it every minute and never talking to her and never seeing her.
1: I'm not saying she, but it's a lot of the time, and I know it's, part of it is she's very stressed out, and she's a wonderful person, and all that stuff, and giving, and loving, and she's just, you know, part of it has to do with our personalities and how we don't even hear that we're doing that ourselves, like I'm sure I do things I know, I do things that annoy her, that um, instead of her setting a boundary too, that's when she it sets her off, you know (laughs) Up. <laughs> it works both ways
3: well like we could talk about up. that too but again I hear you justifying explaining defending all those things are ways to avoid setting a boundary I get it because I started out where okay I'm gonna wait till there's fireworks and explosions and it's a machine gun inside of me maybe you will wait till that point and it doesn't matter when you decide to set the boundary but I'll tell you One thing that's happened with me is my tolerance level is that if somebody changes the tone... I'm out of there. I didn't start out that way. Uh Don't expect that you are going to set a boundary for every little thing. You will know intuitively, because you're intuitive already and insightful, when that's going to be for you. All I'm offering is a toolkit so that you can bring it out when and or if it happens. At some point, there'll be a light bulb and it'll go off and you'll go, oh... I could Mm -hmm. do that. The primary, most pressing remembrance is when you're setting a boundary to speak softly, slowly, surely. Really soft and really slow. That's why you got to have the anger by appointment only because you don't want to be going, you know, you do this all the time and you better stop. And if you do this again, (laughs) it's like you're softly talking and saying, I really care about our relationship. I would like to be better in it. Is that something you would like? Would you like our relationship to be the best it can be? She might say no and then say, okay. I would assume she might say, yeah, sure. And then you can say, I just want to let you know ahead of time. When you raise your voice, I'm going to remove myself for a period of time. And then I'll be back. It's not exactly even the words. It's the soft, Uh slow, sweet, and short. No explaining, no justifying. I don't know if you've heard this, but no is a complete sentence. You're not having a discussion. Okay, and here comes my next favorite tool in the toolbox. I call it the broken record because sometimes... When we first start to set boundaries, it comes out kind of garbly and (laughs) kind of stuttering. The words don't come out right. The other person might respond in a certain way, which really is not our business as the boundary setter. It's not about what she says after. That makes no difference because the win-win is that you said something chances are you're going to get some kind of response, and if it's your sister, she might start in with the manipulating or the controlling or whatever it is that people do. And the broken record is you repeat the same thing again, softly, shortly, sweetly, and slowly. Yes, Mm. and I just wanted to let you know that when you raise your voice, I'm going to leave for a period of time, but I'll be back. And I then guess. she can no. go, what are you talking, you know, like, what's this? And you're nuts and whatever. And are you kidding me? Bubba? Right, it doesn't matter. Again, broken record when you li- and you might even have to leave for a period of time at the end of this conversation. Okay. This is another perspective. Instead of it being about saying no to her, you're saying yes to you. That's really important to remember that was really hard for me because I'm a people pleaser. I don't know if you are, but I come from a long line of people pleasing and I've had to (laughs) recover from that and that's not easy. I can relate to that. <laughs> right? And especially with right. a family member and wanting approval and wanting to be liked. But here's the thing. The yes to you is a yes to her. Because when you're saying yes to you, Joanne becomes a bigger, better, more loving, more confident, more caring sister. And that is a gift to Joanne. But if you keep saying no to Joanne... And yes, to your sister, and allow the bad behavior, you're not being the best sister you can be to her. Right. Does that make sense? And then you go no, into it, your it yelling.
1: Sense. No, it makes sense. It does, absolutely. I know this isn't an easy, and
3: it probably sounds like Greek and a lot of gooblygok, but you wouldn't be calling me if you weren't ready to hear. When the student is ready, the teacher appears, and it sounds like you're ready.
1: Yeah, I'm ready because I definitely think things should change
3: around here. Corona's not going anywhere, so we're going to be tucked in together for a while.
1: Yeah, and these issues were here before Corona. Of course.
3: It's a magnified classroom. You get an accelerated classroom. Like I went to college in two years instead of four. I went to law school in one and a half instead of two. And you are having an accelerated classroom. So this is great. That's a good way to look at it. I love it. Here's another axiom that is just wonderful when people are bothering me. I say, bless them, change me. Bless her, change me.
1: Right, because you really can't change anyone else, that's for sure. You can't tell (laughs) her to
3: stop yelling at you. That's trying to change her. Right,
1: I see that now.
3: When you are setting a boundary, it's important to say I, 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 and not have any yous in there except that one that says when you raise your voice. You can even change that. I even like this one better. When I hear the tone of your voice change. Because I've set this boundary with a rager before, and I said when you change the tone of your voice, and she said to me, I'm not changing the tone of my voice. You're just imagining that, or you're just being sensitive. <laughs> you're, you're hearing it wrong. I'm not, and then you know started like yelling at me about that because I uh, used no, a, right because I said you when you change right, the tone, right. and she's like, "What are you talking about? I'm I'm not changing the tone of my." So you could even change that and say, "When I hear the tone change, I like that well, much better.
1: better." In fact, you can say when. When someone's tone of voice gets raised, it affects me like this. So you're not even you're making but it. But that's less even too much
3: information. Yeah, that's not short and sweet and soft because who's the someone? Again, you're trying oh, okay. to tell her what she's doing is affecting you How in it the wrong way. Me. You're trying to get her yeah, to stop okay. by manipulating and saying, you know, that really bothers me and hurts me and you're hurting me and so stop doing it. This is not about changing her behavior. This is not about trying to get her to change. Whether or not she changes is not your business.
1: No, but when you... So you could say uh, when the tone of your voice is raised...
3: No, when um, I hear your tone change.
1: Okay, when I hear your tone change. Because you Yeah, the I, I get it.
3: Because... It's your perspective. She might not think she's changed, Especially in the moment, if you were to say, you just changed your tone of voice, so I'm going to leave the room. She might think I'm not changing. You know what I'm saying?
1: Well, I've heard that one, too. Yeah, yeah I didn't it has nothing you. to do
3: with her I'm perspective. Not yelling at you. Exactly, exactly.
1: This is <laughs> I've heard that one. Right.
3: So this is not about her perspective. This is about your perspective. There's no right or wrong here. You do not no, have don't. to be on the stand and say, "Okay, let's turn the volume and see who's right. Was her tone changed or not?"
1: So you don't, so you don't say how it affects you. Just say when No way. I hear So what you say is uh, when I hear the tone of your voice change or being raised, I'm going to leave the room.
3: For a period of time. I'm going to leave for a, mm-hmm. period, yeah, of for a time. period of time. So and I'll be back.
1: So you don't, you don't bring in the fact of how it affects
3: Oh, her absolutely not, because that's laying a guilt trip on her. She's not going to change oh. over a guilt trip. Oh,
0: <laughs> okay.
1: Right? Does uh, anyone yeah.
3: do cha- I mean, yeah. I don't know. If someone makes me feel guilty, I'm not going to change for that reason.
1: Because, because I guess I've heard maybe from other therapists or something say that uh, when such-and-such such happens, I feel hurt or you know letting the other person know how it affects you too, sometimes I thought would be helpful, like letting them know that is... have
3: sister, you tried that if, before?
1: I've tried it with other people, I think I don't remember if I did tried it work it or, That's a good question. I'm hard to remember <laughs> <laughs> I would uh, think that if it
3: worked so well, well you I've told
1: would her that i I've told her that like uh sometimes are doing. A crossword puzzle, and I feel that she's extremely condescending if I don't know something. And I've told her that I feel bad when she's condescending towards me.
3: And And has she stopped?
1: um, At the moment, yeah. But is she still
3: condescending with you ever?
1: Well, I think that's just part of her nature, not intentionally to hurt me, but she's very intellectually um, knowledgeable in certain areas that I'm not.
3: Again, Jade, justifying, accepting, defending, explaining. I I
1: don't like it. I I, I say, I'm sorry, but I don't know French or Latin or whatever it is.
3: There's no (laughs) apology. Okay, write this down, J-A-D-E, and I'll put it on the website if you forget. You never have to justify apologize, defend, or explain. Okay. Okay, and you've been doing all of that since we've been talking about your sister. Well, she doesn't mean it. Well, it came from my dad. Well, she's had a hard day. Well, it's corona. (laughs) Well, it's this. Well, it's that. There's no excuse for abuse. There also are no victims, only volunteers. You do not have to stay in the room playing a game with someone that's being condescending.
1: Oh, there's times I've left in the middle.
3: (laughs) Well, good. So you've done that before. Have Have you done it in a huff and a puff? Probably. Okay.
0: So that's not (laughs) going to make you feel
3: good. Because you said to me at the beginning that you get engaged in the yelling and then you don't feel good. So when you practice setting this boundary softly, sweetly, slowly, surely, shortly, ahead of time, you don't have to do it in the moment. Because you can say, I'm going to leave for a moment now and say it slowly, softly, because you're not going to wait until you're a tea kettle where the steam is about to explode because it's going to start whistling in a second. You're not going to wait that long. You don't have to engage. You're going to set the boundary ahead of time. So it'll give you permission when it starts to come up to just go, oh, I'm going to leave the room now. I'll be back. And you say it softly, slowly, sweetly. If you follow through and do that enough times, she's going to understand that there's consequences to her actions. When she's condescending, you're going to leave. When she yells, you're going to leave. When the tone changes, you're going to leave. It's not about changing her. It's about changing you because you don't want to be a yeller.
1: No, No, I I hate that. You're You're going to break the
3: cycle. You don't want the family coronavirus. It's contagious. (laughs) We all have a family (laughs) virus. This is the vaccine. The toolkits that I'm offering you are vaccines. You do not have to keep the virus inside of you because it's hurting you. There's so much damage from raging. I come from ragers. I married a rager. I have been around ragers a lot and bullies, and I know the damage because I know how hard it is to heal that damage. Oh,
1: yeah, I've been around... Other rangers.
3: Right? Okay, because that's mm-hmm. what we do, because that's the comfort zone. We continue the cycle until someone breaks the chain. And you can break the chain. I want to talk about your nephew, but I'm going to have to ask you to call back about that, just because we're running out yeah, of we'll time. Yeah, we'll do that. I, yeah, I have to and do
0: too, but
1: yeah,
3: we'll do that. Because I have a lot to say about that, because that's oh. another really Good lesson for you and a lot of that too has to do with trying to change the other person and the boundaries, but I don't wanna overwhelm you with everything right now. Right. So I would love for you yes, I would love for you to call back and start out with that scenario. I am so glad that you called, Joanne, because I'm happy for you like I said at the beginning, your healing breaking the cycle is starting now.
1: Thank you. I really appreciate your help. I feel
3: it. I'm sure you feel it in some sense, yeah?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs>
3: absolutely. <laughs> Bravo, <laughs> I'm cheering sorry. you.
4: I'm cheering okay. you, and
3: when you call back, I want to hear about the toolkit, and I also want to hear about your nephew, and I hope that this has helped you to get some sweet, soft, soothing, serene slumber tonight. Yes, I will. Thank you, Dr. Debs. <laughs> Thank you, Joanne, and peace and blessings. Bye-bye. you you. bye-bye.
4: Well, that's all the time we have. Tune in nightly at 9 p.m. Pacific Time and Midnight Eastern Time to AmericanHeartsRadio.com for another enlightening episode of Sleepless in Studio City. Dr. Debs, deemed the new relationship guru, a West Coast doctor, Laura, and East Coast Carrie Bradshaw, provides comforting, heartfelt help. She will lift your spirits, illuminate your mind, inspire creativity, promote positivity, and empower you to pursue your highest aspirations. You deserve to be the best version of yourself. If you'd like to be a guest caller, featured artist, or have your writing question answered on the show, feel free to contact Dr. Debs at sleeplessinstudiocity at gmail.com and she'll schedule you for the next opening. For replay links, updates, and affirmations, please visit facebook.com slash sleepless or twitter.com slash Find full episodes on iTunes. You can also listen to five-minute excerpts on YouTube while watching a soothing, serene slideshow. Dr. Dubs is available around the clock for telephone life coaching sessions, and the first consultation is free. Contact her at sleeplessinstudiocity at gmail.com to arrange an appointment at your convenience. Dr. Debs will impart weekly wows, words of wisdom, and leave you with esteem builders and confidence boosters to help you transform from the inside out. Repeat often. Say them in the morning, in the evening, while driving, standing in line, or on a lunch break. Speak with conviction, and you will begin to believe. Without further ado, here's Dr. Debs.
3: Thank you, Maxie. For that endearing closing, you are the light in my life. You give me hope to carry on. Inspire me at all levels. I'm eternally grateful. You make the world a much better place. I adore, appreciate, and admire you. In case you haven't noticed. <laughs> Here are some weekly wows, words of wisdom from Marianne Williamson and A Course in Miracles. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate, our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It's our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, Who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, fabulous? Actually, Who are you not to be? And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. As we are liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. Thank you, Marianne. And more wows from this amazing author and activist. It takes courage to endure the sharp pains of self-discovery rather than choose to take the dull pain of unconsciousness that would last the rest of our lives. When we attach value to things that aren't love, the money, the car, the house, the prestige, we are loving things that can't love us back. We are searching for meaning in the meaningless. (laughs) I couldn't have said it better, Marianne. You take the words right out of my mouth. There's no... Mr. or Mrs. Right, because there is no Mr. or Mrs. Wrong. There's whoever's in front of me and the perfect lessons to be learned from that person. In asking for miracles, we are seeking a practical goal, a return to inner peace. We're not asking for something outside us to change, but for something inside us to change. We're looking for a softer orientation to life. ha! <laughs> I love that. I was thinking about that today. Looking for a soft, warm, comfy, cozy person to be my soft, warm, comfy pillow. (laughs) I'm looking for a soft pillow from a soft, warm, comfy, cozy person. (laughs) Who has that soft, comfy, cozy, warm pillow for me to put my head in? Are you out there? (laughs) And last but not least, again from Marianne Williamson, love is what we were born with. Fear is what we have learned here. The spiritual journey is the relinquishment or unlearning of fear and the acceptance of love back into our hearts. Love is the essential existential fact It's our ultimate reality and our purpose on earth. To be consciously aware of it, to experience love in ourselves and others, is the meaning of life. Hear ye, hear ye. Okay, I'm done. That is it. (laughs) That is the Holy Grail, and we just found it. (laughs) I leave you with these affirmations. (laughs) To say in the front of the mirror, looking deep into your eyes where you will see your soul. I am in the process of making positive changes in all areas of my life. It doesn't matter what other people say or do. What matters is how I choose to react and what I choose to believe about myself. Everything I need comes to me at the perfect time. I feel glorious dynamic energy. I am active and alive. Today is going to be a really, really good day. (laughs) I am beautiful and everybody loves me. My good is constantly coming to me. I relax and enjoy my life. I act as if I already have what I want. It's an excellent way to attract happiness in my life. I awaken today appreciating everything in sight and I give thanks. I love every cell of my body. I rejoice in the love I encounter every day. When I share love, it comes back to me multiplied. (laughs) I wish you love. I wish you peace. I wish you joy. I wish you freedom from suffering. Peace out.
1: After midnight, we're gonna let it all hang
3: After midnight, we're gonna let it all hang I see, after midnight, we're gonna let it all hang